another conversation from Loretta's front page. Conversations that get to be had and heard. We're going to be talking all things long COVID this morning because we feel like the last wave of COVID that hit our region has really started to recede and maybe we're feeling like, oh, I can feel a bit comfortable, the case numbers are dropping. But really, our conversation really is turning not from perhaps whether you're going to get COVID, but how are you going to handle the after effects, which is commonly known as long COVID. The COVID-19 pandemic is leaving much of the world's population devastated in its wake. First wave, second wave, third, plus new strains emerging around the globe has left millions of loved ones lost. And if that's not enough, it's becoming apparent there's a slower, more insidious wave rising in its wake. I'm, uh, I'm reading to you from a book which has come across my desk. It's A Doctor's Journey Back to Health, From Doctor to Patient to Doctor Again. And I'm very pleased to have the authors with me in the studio. I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Stephen and Tori Summer. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And good morning, Tori. Good morning, Loretta. Uh, Love to have you both here. I came across um, this book that you released back in March, Stephen. Um, it, it, we had a press release come into the studio about it, and it's been on my uh, want to talk about list for quite a while because I think that part of the um, community, part, not all, but part of the community has a little bit of COVID amnesia. Like we feel like COVID is done and dusted and, and the lockdowns hopefully, you know, a past history. Um, but when I picked up and saw what you were writing about, I was excited. Um, excited might not be the right word, <laughs> you know, because it is such a devastating thing that people can be experiencing. But I really wanted to get into this conversation about about long COVID and, um, and, and what we can be expecting as a community going forward. So you released this in March, as I said, and this is really, you know, your quest to recover from chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as ME-CFS, which is a long sort of title. Um, and what I'd love to understand is we're going to get into what is long COVID and, and, and how we're going to, uh, as a community, deal with that. But first of all, can you sort of talk us through about what is ME-CFS and if you could tell us the full name because I'm not very good yes. at pronouncing it. <laughs> sure. Well, ME stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis. That's why I can't say it as well as you can. Myalgic's referring to muscles, pain in the muscles. Encephalo is the brain. Myelitis is inflammation. So okay. you've got this inflammatory condition affects the brain. In fact, the World Health Organization classified it as a neurological disease in 1969. Wow. Yeah. So it's been around a while, a long time. Yeah. In fact, there's been epidemics of it. There's been at least 60 epidemics um, since 1930. Uh, this is the next one in a way. This is a pandemic with where the SARS Corona 2 virus is triggering the same sort of illness and about... Well, 10% of people with, who get acute COVID end up with long COVID, yes. which is three months or more. And, and it's more the, in hospitalised patients. Mm-hmm. Yes, 50%. 50 to 70%, I think. Yeah. Okay, so 10% of the population who get COVID okay. yep. are, are going to, yes. the research is showing they're that gonna get long COVID. they're going to get long COVID. And, and of those, half of those will end up with ME-CFS, which is more than six months. Okay, so the link between long COVID and, and ME-CFS, and, and people will know chronic fatigue syndrome, right. as that is the, the layman's term. Is that a, is that a fair yep, way to say yep, it? Yep, yep. So what you're saying is long COVID is symptoms lasting for three months or more? 
Yes. Okay. And there are two types of long COVID, if you like. There's a long COVID that's very specific about damage to lung tissue, say damage to blood vessels, which can be a, a really serious sort of long condition. Just as serious, though, is the MECVS type, which is severe fatigue where you can't work anymore. Yes. Um, uh, unrefreshing sleep, muscle pain, cognitive problems. Right. And... Uh, Orthostatic problems as well, which means your blood pressure can be all over the shop. So you, you may uh, faint fairly often and that sort of thing. So chronic fatigue syndrome contains all those symptoms and COVID picks them all up as well as its own special ones. Right. And Tori, can you potentially speak to us about what those other special ones <laughs> are <laughs> that Stephen's alluding to there? All the special extra symptoms. Of, um, <laughs> over 200 of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just, well, we'll there's so wait, many of them. Just wait while you list off <laughs> Well, I think, I mean, obviously fatigue is the main one, but everybody experiences fatigue. So there's this sort of sense that maybe it's, um, you know, not a big deal. But this is a type of fatigue that just um, completely devastates people. Uh, Stephen wasn't bed bound for the entire, um, you know, to, he, he had periods of being bed bed bound, but he was sort of couch bound, if you like. He'd get out of bed, um, but he'd end up on the couch all day. Uh, he might have time times where he could read. Sometimes he couldn't even do that. Um, the Probably the, the most activity he could actually undertake was getting to the post box and back okay. in, in a day. Mm. So Stephen... Um, you, you developed um, chronic fatigue syndrome, mm. the ME-CFS, but it wasn't as a, uh, a result of having COVID. We're, we're, no. we're, we're talking numbers of years ago now. That's right. And in the book, um, you give a, a great account of, of your own story, but also it is so well-researched. There is so much data in here. This must have taken years to, to put together. Six years, six years. <laughs> six years. In yeah. fact, and, and when COVID came along, which was during me putting together this book, yes, obviously I had to add that to the book. Oh, of course. And in fact, it's become a really important thing for people with MECVS because often it's been misdiagnosed as, as a psychiatric problem. Yes. Which it isn't. I was diagnosed with psychiatric problems, even though it wasn't. I was sure it wasn't. Yes. Personally, but obviously people couldn't couldn't label it correctly. And now we've got COVID coming along. And people are taking it a lot more seriously because it's in our face, if you like. That's right. Here it is. So people who potentially have symptoms that are ongoing for three months or more generally have a diagnosis of, of long COVID. Yes. Have I got that right? Yep. And then and if it lingers for six months or more, or more? It can be, 50% of them. Okay. So 50% can then develop into ME-CFS. Yep. Exactly. And the diagnosis is that. Okay. And... When you said before, Stephen, like, you know, we've had, uh, this has been around since, well, diagnosis since the 60s and potentially from the 30s, but because we've got a pandemic, because it's worldwide, yeah. the spotlight's now on it. Yeah. Right. And people are, with MECBS in a strange way, are sort of relieved because we've been treated as if we're crazy. Yes. Um, and it's been a terrible thing, really, because a lot of families have broken up because of it. And well, I mean, in in the book, you 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 refer to it in inverted commas as the yuppie flu. Mm. You know that that it's this is actually it's it's actually, it's, it's not a, a condition of the mind. You're not making it up. It's not that you can't, you know, uh, you know the worried well. It's it's not because you've sort of you know looked too deeply into your navel and decided <laughs> that life's all a bit hard. That's right. In fact, one of the reasons why. Because we didn't have a proper test for it. We still don't have an easy test for it, but 
but research in the last five to ten years has shown there is brain inflammation. You're right. There are immune problems that are very, very reproducible. Also, what's called dysautonomia, where people are getting pots and things like that, where their where their heart rate goes all over the place and their blood pressure, etc. Now, all of this wasn't known back then when it was called yuppie flu. They just said, "Oh, well, it's yuppie flu." Now we do have all these this information, the new tests that we can do, including special. Brain scans that show inflammation. Griffith mm. University is um, very close to coming up with a blood test. Um, they've been doing research on on certain mm. calcium channel blockers or something, and and they're coming up with a blood test, hopefully. Right, because as you say, Stephen, in the past it has been a matter of is it finding the right GP who has a, a, an open mind potentially to understanding what these um, group of symptoms might be pointing towards? If you can, <laughs> the trouble <laughs> is finding the right GP. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was a GP myself. That's right, course. that's right. Um, but but I, I didn't have a clue back then when I was practicing before I developed this problem. No. I really, I mean, I was a good-hearted sort of fellow, but I certainly didn't understand the extent of it. No, and and, bef- and and you say in the book, and you talk about, you know, you were a practicing GP, you were lecturing at university, uh, you were the president of the yeah. World Whole, Whole, Whole Health Institute of Australasia. The Whole Health Institute of Australasia, and, and giving up that presidency was really, really difficult in the end because you knew that you needed to reduce your workload. Yeah. So you were looking at whole health. You you were someone who was interested in, in looking at the how bigger broader picture. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, I, I just think it just goes to show how um, it, it's understandable why this has been um, a much misunderstood um, condition for so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, Stephen, you talk about it in the book, and the book is called, you know, A Doctor's Journey, you know, um, from doctor to patient to doctor again. Yep. So you were, as as you outlined the book, you were working, you were traveling overseas, presenting papers, you were being called upon to do, you know, many and great things. Yes. <laughs> and then you started to be unwell. Yep. Whole series of infections and eventually I collapsed, literally. Yeah. I can tell you the date. <laughs> July 17, 1996, I was at my desk at uni, finishing up, suddenly I felt as if someone pulled the plug out of my stomach, as if there was a real plug there. Yeah. My energy just went, disappeared. Could almost had to crawl to the car to drive home. Is, is that um, known as a crash? Well, it could have been a big crash. initial crash. The initial crash. The initial <laughs> crash. That was the, but boom, boom and crash is another thing in a way. It's sort of the, um, people get a bit of energy and they, yes. they use it up very quickly yep. and then crash. That's very common. People have to learn how to pace themselves, and pacing is one of the most important ways to manage. We'll talk about the rehab and how to, how to get back to the, yep, yep. That, that, that pace as well. Because I did get back to work here in Geelong. I ran a clinic for people with ME-CFS. I know. Amazing. Fantastic. Mm, five years. Yeah. And and people, when they came to you, Stephen, um, you know, we're talking about symptoms that are physical, things that, you know, yep. debilitating and, you know, headaches or uh, uh, the, oh, the dizziness. Yes. I had one fellow who came. He was fainting three times a day at work. Wow. And no one had worked out why. Why. And, but there's the emotional side, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Because there's that feeling of, am I going crazy? Well, my potential, my, my, um, my guess would be, am I going crazy? Am I making this up? Mm. Totally. And so... Um, you say in the book, and maybe Tori, you can talk about this in the because you potentially watched Stephen do this. Yeah, he became known as Doctor Hope. Yeah, well, in <laughs> fact, before he developed chronic fatigue syndrome, he was actually counselling people to to 
um, bring back hope into their lives if they were suffering from from all sorts of different diseases, cancer being the main one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was actually his his kind of focus in, in his work. Um, and, yeah, it was embarrassing for him to suddenly go down with a chronic disease himself um, because he was the one who was kind of elevating everybody's spirits before then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now... One of the um, the mantras that you use, Tori, for yourself, and Tori, you've been um, obviously, you know, Stephen's uh, life partner and now carer since the yeah. mid mid nineteen nineties. Yep. Yeah. One of the mantras you use is to be kind to yourself. Yeah, that was something that I had to keep telling myself, and I think because MECFS is a unrecognised and um, derided illness, um, so if you you do start to feel like you're going mad as the carer or the caregiver as well because nobody's validating the condition um, and you start to wonder whether it's maybe your fault mm. um, that something's going wrong or you're doing something wrong. So you have to kind of keep affirming, no, it's okay, <laughs> I, I'm doing my best. Yeah. It can never be perfect, but no. you're doing your best. And I wonder, as a point of view from the carer, you say that social connection is vital. Mm. Now, you're caring for someone who the biggest thing they can potentially do in the day is walk to the letterbox and back. So, you know, you're not getting out for walks, you're not walking the dog, you're not not catching up with, you know, friends and having dinner Mm. parties. And let's just say that the normal type of social interactions that we have and potentially carers may also need to give up work if they're, if they're, if they're, you know, looking after their loved one. What advice do you have for the friends of people who are caring for loved ones? Does that make sense? For those yes. people who are listening, yep. who maybe are watching someone caring for a loved one, what do and we do to support love carers? would love to do something. Yeah, but, but we don't know yeah, what. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I found that um, I needed to get some care support for Steve first before I could kind of go out and do um, things for myself. Yeah. Um, and I'll come back to what friends can do. But I found friendships um, in sort of um, things I like doing. So art and yoga tend to be the t- two things that I kept gravitating towards. And I've got some beautiful friends in those in those um, groups still. Um, and just their support and their belief in us and um, knowing that they, they were just kind of cheering us on Mm -hmm. was hugely helpful. You'd be surprised how much um, benefit that is. Um, Is that a text message? Is that a phone call? Is that dropping over? Yeah, dropping over can be tricky with MECFS because the person with the condition is so sensitive. So if somebody wants to drop in, they kind of need to educate themselves a little bit about the condition to make sure that they don't overload Mm. the person who's sick. Mm. Um, And it can be different from day to day. And I think there's a lot of people who have that level of sensitivity and they can... um, be supportive in the sense of just maybe dropping in, bringing some food that's actually something that um, fits in with the food requirements because a lot of people have issues with um, with different food intolerances. Um, so dairy, potentially. Dairy, yeah. gluten. So I'm thinking lasagna is not the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so often people will need to... Um, but you often would go for coffee with no... I would a, often that would go. be a huge benefit for you. Yeah, it would be a massive benefit for me. For me. For half an hour or even yeah. Hour. yeah. So just a... Tori could get out. If people could... There. They could come to the house if they if they realise that being quiet and also um, being sensitive to when they should leave. <laughs> so I mean, picking up the that signals. could be yeah, it could be quite a quick call. <laughs> 
And I think, um, you know, what people don't, no one, the people don't need to stay for half a day. No, that's right. They, ten, they ten, might 20 minutes? drop for 10, mm. 20 minutes. Plenty. And maybe they might come in and say, can I do your washing up? I mean, it's, it's something um, simple like that can make a huge difference. Yeah. Now, Stephen, in, um, you, you've actually written two books. So I'm speaking this morning uh, with Dr. Um, Stephen Summer and his wife, Tori Summer, who are the co-authors um, of uh, A Doctor's Journey Back to Health. And the second book is A Path Back to Life, The Art of Micro Rehab. Now, if people are thinking this conversation is amazing and I need to get a hold of these books, I can tell you that you can go to Stephen's website, which is uh, Dr. Stephen with a V, summer with an O dot com, uh, and you can purchase the books through there. Uh, but in this book, the second book, you give us great detail and great information about the, the, the small incremental changes that can be made. And, and one of the pieces of advice you give is less is more. Mm. To start with. To start very, with. Very much. My question really is then, how do you cope with the impatience? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, because I'm sure people potentially who are um, in that three-month mark of, of the long COVID period, they're like, well, when is this going to be over? Yeah. When am I going to get back to normal? Um, and well, Tori, Tori actually had COVID in July. We yeah. both did, but Tori, I took the antiviral because I was on medication for other illnesses, so I was able to take it and it worked, worked beautifully. Tori wasn't able to take the antibiotics. You, you were sick for six weeks. Well, I found that, and it's apparently coming out in the research, that um, people need to be very careful after COVID that they don't push themselves too much or they'll be more more um, prone to long COVID. So I went for a swim after two weeks um, thinking that I was feeling fine. Yes. And I ended up back on the couch for a week because I was exhausted afterwards. And then I took another two weeks after that. So I think people just need to be very cautious. Rest the, um, at the, in yeah. the early stages seems to be critical. Yeah. Rest in the early stages and, and not pushing too hard. Mm. Mm. But this, this idea of impatience, how do we combat the natural human spirit to just get on and get going again, Stephen? Well, that, there's a whole chapter on that. I know there is. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't easy. That's why there is a whole chapter and the things we tell ourselves. And the thing, yeah, so a lot of it is cognitive. Yes. A lot of the things we tell ourselves. And also just you know, acknowledging the fact that you are actually unwell, accepting that for now and, and, you, and the body, listening to what the body needs. And I think that's one of the biggest, biggest lessons that you have to learn is the body gives you its signals. Sometimes those signals can be can be due to fearful fearful thoughts, which are not true, and you have to distinguish that from the times when it's giving you a very clear signal that, of what to do, and that's part of what the, you need to sort of focus on in learning I mindfulness. Think, I think my, yeah, exactly. That, but you're right, it's a really counterculture yep. concept to have to slow yep. down. <laughs> exactly right. This, this is the illness that the world doesn't want. <laughs> no, you're right, it's the illness the world doesn't want because it, this, it doesn't match our fast-pacedness. We're going we're gonna to leave our conversation there. Before we started today, I said to both Tori and Stephen, we could do a whole podcast series on, on this and really pull it apart. But I would recommend both books, A Path Back to Life and A Doctor's Journey Back to Health, um, if you head to Stephen's website. They are also in the library. The, oh, they're in the library as well. Excellent. The Geelong um, Library, yep. you can go yep. and, and reserve them. Um, if you head to the website, Dr. Stephen with a V, summer with an O.com, and you can access them there. And what I also like is that they're 
available as audiobooks as well as ebooks because we can't always sit and read. Uh, yeah. if, if potentially someone who's who's experiencing um, those those long COVID or um, and MSC. You get, to, you get to hear Tories dulcet tones. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> that. Thank you so much for coming in. We're going to continue the conversation after these community service announcements with Chris Reed, a myotherapist and bone therapist from Geelong Bowen and Remedial Therapies. And we're going to be talking just a little bit about this idea of the micro rehab and the less is more um, idea and a, um, a, a treatment or, or a, a, a therapy that's available potentially that might be able to give some hope and give some more benefits. Stephen and Tori, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank, thanks, Loretta. Thank you. Thank you.